Larry Davis, what is the most frightening video game you've ever played? Uh... That's actually that's actually scared you, because I know that you've expressed to me before that you're not... Uh, that you frighten very easily, and you are also not a huge fan of horror. Silent Hill 2, probably. Hmm. I've not played Silent probably Hill three. 2. Because yeah. I, I didn't play much of 2, is the thing. Uh, see, I haven't played two or one. Those are actually on the list, and I actually plan to like play them later this month. Um, which means probably won't talk about them for a whole another year. Uh, oh. I have played three and four though, and I really, really liked three. The only one I've played to completion is Shattered Memories, mm. and that is the best one as far as I am concerned because there is no combat in it. <laughs> Yeah, three is like uh, like my limited understanding because I don't have one and two to actually compare it off of directly. But my understanding is that three in general was just abnormally combat focused. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, like most the... of the descriptions I've heard of two are that there's really not much combat in it at all. Yeah, um, and four I really liked up until the point when it introduces the ghost enemies that you can't kill and they just like follow you around and I just got really frustrated with it and stopped playing. I like yeah, the premise people... of that and everything else about it though. Yeah, people really hate 4 though is the thing and I never quite understood why because it was like perfectly fine for me when I played it. Like 4 is actually the first one I played so like maybe that's my problem is that it was my introduction to Silent Hill. Uh, but yeah, that, that was one that I remember... Um, I remember seeing stuff about Silent Hill in magazines and stuff a lot back in the day, and always just thinking it looked really, really, really frightening. Like, mm -hmm. the, the graphical fidelity that they were getting out of the PlayStation 2 was incredible, and they were using it to make everything look really dark and gross and just, just disturbing as all fuck. Yeah, 3 especially, uh, I remember being really impressive because uh, yeah. there were like trailers and stuff on PlayStation Magazine demo discs that I would just like watch over and over like man look at this but not on EGM demo discs which are a thing that do not exist <laughs> apparently not that are just a fantasy of my adult mind uh, along with uh, as I mentioned a few weeks ago killing Marin in Link's Awakening and dragging her around as a ghost not a thing that happens in that game I don't know why I thought it did I think it's because, like, at one point a ghost does pop up and follows you until you take him back home, and I think somewhere I got it confused with this hidden mechanic of killing Marinoff. I don't know. You think of when uh, Dompe becomes a ghost? Oh, God, then you have to race that fucker around. Yeah. <sighs> Dompe is better underground. There's life underground. Yeah, there is. Um, because Dompe is still flying around and talking and shit. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there there was a lot of just pictures specifically of, uh, in 3, that bit with, like, the bunny rabbit in the blood on it kind of laying limp on the park bench. Yeah. I remember seeing that a whole lot. Uh, and that kind of just setting the tone of Silent Hill for me, and, like, that specifically being the point where I was like, oh, I need to play one of these games at some point. Actually, uh, and then I was Ford, just what looking... everyone hates <laughs> was the first one that I played. I was just looking uh, not that long ago at the Wikipedia for Silent Hill 3 because I was thinking, hey, I wonder what happens at the end of that. And boy, that's yeah. a game. 
It was a dog the whole time. Well, oh, well, yes, definitely that. But also, just like the end boss of Silent Hill 3 is so, like, you look at a picture of it, and it's just like, what am I even looking at? Yeah, it's, I it's streamed uh, Silent Hill 3 a few years ago. That's how I beat it. And I had some very... Someone in the chat, and I was explaining how, like, I never played the game before, and this was all new to me, and I wasn't using guys or anything like that. And they wanted to help me out, but they didn't want to spoil it. And I had no fucking idea what to do about the final boss at all. And so I was on this thing for like a half an hour of them kind of like being very coy about what to do and me not being able to figure it out at all. You just like equip the mace and go up to the side of it and attack it and it yeah, dies. Pretty much that. It, it's also like specifically the point before that, because uh, I had not played the game for like this chunk of time in between streaming out the ending and everything else that I got done with it. And you get uh, a Glophidus uh, at, at some point in the game, and I totally forgot that that was an item that I had, and you need to use it to go down into the hole to fight the boss. So there's this long stretch of time where I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to actually initiate this, and this dude in chat just not telling me at all. Great. I mean, you also just yeah, covered that guide. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of uh, Silent Hill, these these uh, classic survival horror games, uh, we're going to talk about two other survival horror games today, games that predate Silent Hill by a decent amount of time. Uh, one of them it may be considered the father of survival horror, uh, Sweet Home. Yep, sure. Uh, yeah. Now, from what I understand, with a ghost in it. <laughs> yeah, it has a ghost in it. From what I remember, you did not know about this game's existence until I told you about it. This is true. Um, <laughs> but the other game that we are uh, that we are talking about today is a game that I actually had uh, quite a lot of knowledge about back in the day and never got a chance to play it, and was always a little bit uh, creeped out by the Scissor Man who was in the game. Yes. Uh, we're talking about Clock Tower for the Super Nintendo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Right. So, yeah. Uh, so I think probably we want to start with um, Sweet Home first because this uh, predates Clock Tower by a pretty decent amount of time. It's a prequel to Sweet Home Alabama, right? That is, yeah, yeah. No, the the part of why I wanted to play this is you know they they put out that new like Sweet Home uh, Alabama song recently, and I was like, oh, you should find they out did? what this is all about. What are you talking Sweet about? Home. Then they do a it's like a rap version of that. Or is that something else? Some other country song that they did, like a rap version Are you talking of? about that Kid Rock one that, like, combines Sweet Home Alabama and Werewolves of London? Maybe I am. Great. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, no one is more authentic than Kid Rock. Oh, no, definitely not. Uh, well, Scissor Man is pretty authentic. I mean, he knows what he's all about. Absolutely. He he has an agenda, and he knows how to uh, effectively execute that ag- that agenda. Yeah, Clock Tower um, coming from the time when game developers would just put actors' faces in their games without their permission. Nobody cared. Sean Connery as the big boss. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I mean, hey, just put it on the cover of your game, too. It doesn't matter. Kyle Reese is here. Oh, sure. Um, that also, side note, is still my favorite, like, outfit that Snake ever wore was that one from the cover of Metal Gear, where he still just kind of looked like an army dude, instead of being in the skin-tight wetsuit. Ah, I don't know, I do like that 
Metal Gear Solid 1 costume a lot. That is definitely my second favorite, but uh, I, I I tend to like the Metal Gear protagonists uh, more and like realistic looking fatigues and stuff like that. Like uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, Metal Gear Solid 3, like... Yeah, I was going to say, like, Venom Snake in general has great fashion. Like, both the regular sort of uh, outfits with the scarf and everything, that looks great. And then I really like that version of the sneaking suit, too. Yeah, he's got a different arm for every day of the week. Yeah, yeah, that too. Puts it on like it's a tie. Uh, Yeah, Sweet Home, uh, you told me about some years ago, and I had no concept of it. Uh, And... I never kind of like got around to actually sitting down and finishing the game. I always kind of played it for a short amount of time, hit a wall at some point, got frustrated and gave up. But I always really liked what it was going for, especially at that at the point in time that it had came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is the kind of game that I was never able to beat, but always thought, boy, I'd like it if they made another Sweet Home. Yeah. Like, like if an indie dev sat down and made a sweet home-like game that was just less frustrating to actually, like, make progress in. Yeah, because, like, the ideal way of playing it is, like, basically you're leapfrogging characters. Yeah. So it's kind of a hassle. Since Sweet Home is is not a, a very well-known game, I should probably explain exactly what it is. Since it did not uh, come out here... No, it it did not. It uh, got a English patch for it in, I want to say, the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a very good patch, and it makes the game entirely playable. Um, and it is readily available on the internet. Like The history of this game, though, is crazy. Oh, it is. Uh, we'll get into the history, but I want to talk about how this thing plays to begin with. Though. Okay. Um, because it is often, and I think erroneously so, cited as the first survival horror game. Um, it's an RPG, but it has it's a it, it proto survival elements. horror game. Yes, yeah. Because uh, what you're doing basically is you you are trapped in this mansion. Stop me if that sounds familiar. Uh, <laughs> and you're you're trapped there by the ghosts of Lady Mamiya, uh, and you are there to uh, basically broke into this place to take pictures of these frescoes that her husband made uh, that are priceless and they're about to be lost to time. And it's you and this this film crew taking these pictures. Uh, but the ghost, vengeful ghost of his wife is there and traps you all inside. So now it's become take pictures of the frescoes, use the clues contained within, and find a way out. Uh, you have a team of five characters, uh, and each character serves a different kind of core utility that is needed for completing the game. So you have a cameraman who takes pictures of the frescoes. You have a, uh, a medic who can heal your party member of status ailments. You have a master of unlocking who can unlock most of the doors within the mansion. Uh, you have, oh god, what was One guy has the lighter. Like, yes, that's, that's who thing. I'm getting hung up on. You have a dude with a lighter. Uh, and the reason I got hung up on it is I think that's the one that you actually kind of utilize the least. Yeah. Because uh, occasionally there are like ropes that impede your progress and you have to burn them. And that's about it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the most important member of the film crew is the dude with the vacuum. Yeah, of course. <laughs> just a guy here with the vacuum. Just like Luigi's Mansion. That's where that came from. <laughs> just, yeah. The genesis of Luigi's Mansion was just Miyamoto playing Sweet Home. <laughs> I can believe it. What if we gave Luigi a vacuum? 
Oh, okay, that sounds good. And then he gets uh, blown by a ghost. Uh, Miyamoto, this is it's getting out of hand. <laughs> Miyamoto starts getting obsessed with crystal skulls and goes on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast to talk about it. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, okay, it's Luigi's belt buckle comes undone and then it pans up and Luigi's cross-eyed going, Mario! <laughs> Come on, this isn't the time for that. That was the last oh. episode. I know. I wish I thought about it earlier. Um, yeah, so e- each of these party members, they have a, like a, a core utility. So like the dude with the vacuum cleaner, he can uh, vacuum up piles of glass that basically block your path. And he can also clear the dust off of the frescoes that you need to take pictures of. So he actually is pretty useful. Kind of weird how everyone is barefoot, I guess. <laughs> That's right. No, it's a real diehard scenario. Yeah. They all ran through the glass and... Carl Winslow is on the other end of the radio and just trying to give them words of encouragement. He shot a kid. No one trains you for what to do when you shoot a kid, Larry. That's right. <laughs> the movie was prophetic, it turns out. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, they, like each of these party members, they actually bring something very valuable to your team that you need. Um and so it'd be really awesome if you could take them all with you everywhere that you go, but you cannot do that. The game kind of hamstrings you by saying you cannot form a party of greater than three people. So most of the time you're running with one group of three and one group of two. Things are typically more dangerous for the group of two uh, because as you make your way through this mansion, you get into these random encounters. And this is like the, the more RPG element of the game. Because uh, you enter the screen with a, a monster of some sort, and you can attack it. Uh, you can pray, uh, which basically brings up this meter, and you have to time it for how many like prayer points you want to use up. And your prayer points are kind of like mana. Uh, so you need to like be very careful about overusing it. That makes me think, uh, was this like the first RPG with like a timing element in it? It might very well be, because I really don't know of anything that predates this that had a like a timing element like the first one i played with anything like that was mario and luigi yeah on gba See, here's the thing here's the or thing though this was actually mario. released in 1989 which is yeah. fairly late yeah on the nes so that it's possible that something used a timing element in it prior to this well hey maybe it's maybe this is actually one of miyamoto's favorite games and so he was like okay we'll take that we'll put that in paper mario and then a few years after that Luigi's gonna get himself into some trouble in a mansion. He's only gonna have a vacuum cleaner. Luigi's Mansion game where Luigi's got the vacuum cleaner, but then you compare him up with the Wario who has the lighter, obviously. Oh, sure. Yeah. He uses it for his stogies. Yeah, while Luigi has the camera. Don't ask him what he uses it for. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't like that at all. Well, guess what? You gotta deal with it. Oh. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, so yeah, you, you have that uh, that timing mechanic. You can also use different tools that you have. So like uh, bats don't like light. So if you have the character with the camera, you can flash the camera in battle and that will damage the bats. Uh, or like a massive pile of worms, you use the lighter on that and it will hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can run. And the thing about running is it's based on each individual party member. So... You could have, like, two of your three pass their check to run, abandoning one dude there who then gets fucked up. Yeah. 
A lot of RPGs and did if, that. Yeah. It's but, terrible. But, but like this is I think more notable for that considering the survival horror element of it, which is that items are very scarce. Uh, the only way you can really heal your HP and your uh, prayer points is through uh, like elixirs that you find around the mansion, but there's a finite qua- uh, quantity of those. Uh-huh. Like your your meta can heal status ailments, but they can't actually like heal your character. Like from what I remember, the efficient way to play it was you would get your group of three along with, well, you just get your group of three and you would go to a certain point and then you would get whoever you had designated as sort of your main character and go back to get the other two and then bring them up to where the current one is. And because that one character is always in combat, he just ends up way over leveled and can escort everyone else. That sounds like a pretty good way to do it. The way that I did it was I would move one group of three into a room, get them to the end of that room, then jump over to the group of two and move them to the end of the same room and basically just keep bouncing back and forth. I mean, that's maybe the way you're supposed to do it, but... Yeah. Which is which is not fun, though, is kind of the thing. Like, yeah. just having to constantly bounce back and forth to just progress through the same room over and over and pretty much keeping these parties together at all times is actually just more tedious than it is interesting. Like, yeah. I, I get what they were going for, but I think it doesn't quite pan out into something that I found enjoyable. No, I agree. Um, I'm saying the way that I did it also is not fun. In fact, it's no. worse because you're actually having to walk the other guy back to get the other ones each time. But yeah. uh, but that's the thing is I've also found that you really had to change your parties up often in the game because some puzzles, like you'll get to one room where it's like, okay, I need Emmy to unlock the door, I need Taro to take the picture, and I need, uh, I think it's a Kiko to dust the fresco before I take the picture of it. So like all three of these guys, they need to go over here. I have to have them as a group. Sure. I don't uh, remember any parts where like you had to have them separated. Like to, to solve a puzzle. Yeah. They had to have them like there there is towards the end of the game there are these like uh quicksand pits and you need to have one character go up on like a plank on one end of the room and have them equip a rope. And then your other dudes will go in there, take the picture of the fresco. They'll get caught up in, like, the whirlpool and start going towards the center of it. And you need to cast the rope at the right time to pull them out. Okay. But that was, like, pretty much it. I I don't think that there was any other point in the game where you need to have two parties to solve a puzzle. Um, And even then, that's, that's, like, really one party of three that you just broke one dude off from. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, uh, there's that whole RPG battle system to it, random encounters. The thing that I really appreciate about that is the enemy designs, and those are good and gross. Like, you have dudes that are just covered in, like, pimples and welts, and they just, like, squeeze pus onto you and make you sick. Yeah, it's just, like, guys that are melting. Yeah. Uh, and, And so, like, that's, like, one of the things I would really love out of, like, a Sweet Home, like, game is these good, gross... Uh, enemy designs that you just linger on because it's in like an RPG battle screen and like with the kind of level of pixel depth that you could get out of that kind of image nowadays mm-hmm. uh, versus just get on the NES like something like this with like 16 bit graphics I think could look really really cool yeah um, I mean look at uh, look at how good they made fake Jennifer Connelly look in uh, <laughs> Clock Tower that's right 
Oh, Sister Man's so creepy. Um, yeah, so so you have that element. The, the other part of it that is very much survival horror is limited inventory space. So each party member can carry, I believe it's three items other than their core item. And I found that in a lot of the game, you're pretty much going to max out your entire inventory and it's going to put you in some really uncomfortable positions of I need to leave something on the ground and probably come back and get it later to finish this puzzle. Sure. And like never quite knowing like, oh God, should I really drop this? I don't know if I'm going to need this later. No storage chests. No, absolutely not. It's the Resident Evil Zero way of doing things where it's you just have to drop the item onto the ground. Yeah. Although um, you can just like save wherever, right? You can, yeah. So that's neat. Right, and you want to save often. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, there, there was like, um, there's a stretch of the game where I kept needing fire extinguishers. Like a lot of them, a frankly disgusting amount of fire extinguishers. Because you use it once and it's out. And it was like every room was catching on fire. And so for like the rest of the game, I just had this like low level paranoia of like, should I just keep a fire extinguisher on me? Like, I don't know when this is going to happen again. And I got like pretty far in the game, always carrying one fire extinguisher and then hit a point where I realized actually I don't need it anymore. Great. Uh, so I could have always had this free inventory space. Uh, there were a lot of times that I like used the tonics to heal up when I really didn't need to because it was like, well, I got it free of inventory. Now I'm having to call Tonic Trouble. Mm. Is that on um, the list? But where this actually becomes like a huge no. problem for this game is there is permadeath in it. So if a character actually dies, their body will just lay on the ground and the items they were carrying will appear around them. Uh, which then means, let's say, you no longer have Emmy, so you don't have your key anymore. You have to have a key to progress. So you basically pick up a lockpick, and now one character has to carry the lockpick around with him for the rest of the fucking game. Which so takes up inventory space. On top of the three cool, spaces though. that you just because Emmy died. Because I like that, though. Like It's not like a character died so you lose. It's like a character died, now you have this penalty. Oh, yeah, but it is an incredibly steep penalty, almost to the point where, like, if a character died, I would rather just load my last save yeah. than have to deal with that. Well, yeah, but if you wanted to get through it without save scumming, I guess. Sure. Um, but it also, like, because you're losing those three inventory spaces, it makes the game substantially more difficult, especially if you lose multiple party members. You could eventually hit a point where you have one dude left, and it's like, unbeatable at that point because mm -hmm. the the final boss you need to have enough inventory space that you need at least like i want to say two or three people well, actually, actually maybe we should talk about the final boss of this game because I, okay. I think this is like maybe one of the most interesting things about the way that you play sweet home um as you're taking all these pictures of these frescoes you're getting these messages from them some of the messages give you a little bit of backstory uh, some of these messages gives you hints on like where to go next or where secret items are, and some of them give you hints on how to beat the final boss of the game. Uh, as you're making your way through, you get these uh, a few key items that seem like they are not immediately important, but you need to hold on to them for the rest of the game, like a photograph of Lady Mamiya and her family, or a letter that her husband wrote about how difficult it was dealing with her psychosis, or my favorite, which is just the damn corpse of her child. 
And when you get into the final battle, you have to present these items to Mamiya in a very specific sequence in order to convince her that she is, in fact, dead. Sure. So you you attack her. You attack her enough times. You get a, a, a cue, like a dialogue cue from her that says, okay, now it's time to use this item. These cues are very vague. So unless you've been paying attention to the game and piecing things together based on the... Uh, like the associated dates that the messages from the fresco are given to you, then you won't really know when to use each item. Uh, but you use an item, then you pray, and then you repeat the loop over and over until she is eventually defeated. Uh, well, um, look, you're gonna you're gonna get to Silent Hill eventually, and you're gonna think, oh yeah. boy, I see where this got the final boss stuff from now. Yeah, probably. I mean, I I do actually think that stuff is neat because it's rewarding you for paying attention to the game's story. It's asking you to get invested because you need to be invested in order to But it also puts you in a very uncomfortable position where if you do not have like at least two party members alive with their inventory completely full of those key items, you cannot win. Sure. And in Silent Hill, it's like that's related to the ending stuff. It's not like you can't beat the game otherwise but 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 god helped the poor soul who had four of their party members died and managed to get to the very <laughs> final boss with like one dude left and then found out fuck i can't beat the game yeah i'm not sure if that person exists because i imagine that would be very frustrating to play anyway but boy yeah i feel like uh, probably everybody would just like reload but i don't know maybe yeah. there is a purist out there who was like i'm going to do this without saving yeah, some real sicko. I mean, yeah, like, so the way that Sweet Home is structured, I think, is is very interesting, especially for, you know, this late NES game. And it is a bit surprising to me that we've not had anything to try to, like, replicate that specifically. Like, obviously, this had a huge influence on stuff like Resident Evil, uh, specifically because it had some of the same staff associated with it. Well-known yeah, fact that Resident Evil started out as a remake of Sweet Home. Yep. Um. But, like, the, the more, like, top-down RPG-infused aspect of it, it's it's a bit strange to me that that's not really popped up again. Outside of, um, there was that actually risk... Resident Evil Gaiden. Yes, I was just about only... to mention that that yeah. was kind of the only one. Yeah, I mean, that's also a very good game. If you uh, say Which also so. had a timing element, too, because you had, like, that bar that went back and forth, and you had to line it up to shoot the zombies. I don't remember that. I do remember it sucking, but okay. Mm. The The way that you shot zombies in that game, remember the uh, reload mechanic in Gears of War? Oh, sure. Active reload. It was basically that. Oh, okay. So it's just this bar moving across another bar, and then there are these like white sections of it, and you want to hit those, and that will hit the zombie. Yeah, just like and if a you golf hit anything game. else, you miss. Like playing Hot Shots Golf, but with zombies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like Hot Shots Golf. Mm -hmm. Sweet Home plus Hot Shots Golf, you get Resident Evil Gun. What a uh, combo. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that game is really interesting, the way that it sets itself up. Um, as, as far as how fun it is to actually sit down and play it, uh, I don't know how you're supposed to beat that game without a guide. I have no idea. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the few times I sat down and played the game, specifically what tripped me up is in the early portion, you get these planks of wood, and you put those over gaps in the floor. 
but sometimes they'll just drop through the floor. And so the thing that stopped me the first couple times playing it was it dropped and it would just cause a character to get stuck on the other side. And it was like, well, they're as good as dead because I can't get back over to them. Uh, and then, like, come to find out later, it's if you walk over it five times. So you need to actually know that you have to decouple your party and send one person over the plank of wood to go do whatever needs to get done. Huh. Uh, but okay. a lot of it is just uh, the stuff that makes that game very difficult to get through without a guide is is more, where do I need to go next? Specifically, what item do I need to get past this puzzle? Uh, yeah. The stuff with the flame th- or the uh, fire extinguisher specifically, I refer to a guide because it was very pointed about you need like four fire extinguishers to get through this next section. Make sure you have them. Uh, because if you needed to go back and get any of them, they were way on the other side of the mansion. Also, part of the problem with that is because of the random encounters and stuff, it's like the more time you spend wandering around, you're just like bleeding health. Yes. Because um, again, those those health items are metered out uh, very mm. conservatively. Um, also, like there's a status ailment that really sucks, which is just to get blown away and it causes one party member to just get teleported to like a random location that you've been to in the mansion. Sure, which could just not? be like as far back as the start of the damn game. And they have to get all the way back to the rest of the party. I will also mention one thing I really liked about Sweet Home when I played it was the presentation of it is very filmic for an nes game which relates to its roots which you seem to refuse to talk about for some reason Uh, i was going to get into it after but but like the corridors and stuff they don't fill the whole screen like it's just a narrow strip in the middle and it has a really cool look about it that a lot of games did not do oh yeah i really love the presentation of of sweet home like Mm -hmm. in general like yeah like you said, it's it's filmic, uh, which I think is a very good way of describing it. And like you said, based on its roots, uh, which it's now time to get into. <laughs> Finally, 30 minutes in. Yeah. Yes. This was made concurrently with the movie Sweet Home, which was a Japanese uh, horror movie that has never come out here as well. It's uh, barely come so... out in Japan, too. Like, there's no DVD copy of it, I think. Mm. Like, if you want it, like, you have to get like a weird bootleg or like from a vhs it's one of those things like the final terror where it's just like oh the masters don't exist either maybe or maybe like a rights issue so they were never never able to re-release it i don't know the final terror is really interesting to me for that reason because when they wanted to do i think it was scream factory did the blu-ray release of that and they had to like (laughs) they found like a handful of people who had different copies of the movie and we're like, please send us those, and we'll just find like the best quality versions of each scene between these like six different transfers of this movie. Which is also weird. Like I, I don't know why you would go through that much trouble for that movie anyway. Oh yeah, there was a reason why that movie was not released, and it's because it's fucking terrible. <laughs> Isn't Joey Pants in it? I think so. Yeah, like the whole reason they put that movie out. Uh, to begin with was because like years after making it the actors in the movie began to actually get known for other things and they were like oh well we got these mo- we got this movie with joey pants in it <laughs> everyone's favorite memento character <laughs> oh man what a piece of crap that movie is um yeah, so uh, Sweet Home, I guess a similar thing where it's very difficult to actually uh, see the movie. It is on YouTube if you ever want to watch it, the full film. Oh. Uh, it 
has been for a very long amount of time and doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I actually did not um, know that. Yeah. Literally all you do is search Sweet Home and it's like in the top well, three results is just the full movie. Well, I've never searched for it, so... Yeah. I started watching it and intended to finish it before doing this podcast, and unfortunately I, I had become too busy with it. Well, it's from um, Juzo Atami, right? Director of our one of our favorite movies, Tampopo. Uh, yeah, it might be. It definitely feels like one of his movies from the bits that I saw. I thought though. so. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I thought it was. Hey, look, as far as Japanese horror movies that are sent centered in a mansion and deal with ghosts it's no house <laughs> no no house is impossible to top but imagine if they imagine if they made a sweet home based on house man it would be so good just random the encounters cat, like laughing all watermelons. yeah sure that uh, actually would be like if i had to sit down and i like had the the wherewithal to make a game like this, I think I would just make a house version of Sweet Home. I would really enjoy that. I mean, you've yeah. got all the playable characters, too, with their abilities. you got Melody and uh, Kung Fu. Mac. Oh, yeah, no. She's your fighter. Yeah. Yeah, you um, got Mac. Mac can uh, eat things. Takes a big old bite out of a butt. Yep. A flying butt. <laughs> Or no, she's a flying oh, wait, head and she yes, flies fly- around. Yes, the flying uh, head bites her butt. Yeah. Or no, well, it's Max flying head that bites the other girl's butt, specifically. So then. You could uh, play as the teacher and then like you go up to like the banana stand at uh like right before the house, and then that could be a boss fight, is try not to get turned into bananas. <laughs> Don't get turned into a pile of bananas in a car. You could also like do like sort of a shitty translation thing there and just have it say you got turned into banana. Just cut to like a car full of bananas. This is a million dollar idea. You became banana. Banana. Yeah, um <laughs> God, Housey was so fucking good. Uh yeah, so so this was made at the same time as as the movie. Uh, it was um, yeah. The director of the movie is Tokuro Fujiwara. Oh, I had huh. I had written it down, apparently. So okay. Or I'm sorry, the game's director. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I wrote that I wrote that down funny in my notes, and then noticed what I did. Uh, Takora Fujiwara, he directed the game. Uh, he was overseen to some degree by the film's director. Uh, but he was basically told that you could use whatever you want from the movie, do whatever you can to just make this work as a game. Uh, but he had the benefit of being able to work with the director and the benefit of being able to actually go onto the sets of the movie while it was filming. Uh, by the way, Fujiwara also directed uh, games like Ghouls and Ghosts and Bionic Commando before this. Okay. They have some idea where he's from. Uh, he also produced the majority of the original Mega Man series. The movie was directed by uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who later would do Pulse and uh, uh, other stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, Cure is another one on here. I'm looking for things I recognize. Mm. Uh, but Pulse is like really popular, so... I thought for sure Juzo uh, Atami had some 
relation to this, though. I wonder if he did like some other horror movie. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, something that I kind of touched on was that this was sort of the uh, the genesis of Resident Evil specifically, that they, they wanted to remake uh, Sweet Home initially and then kind of veered off and did this other thing. Oh, I got it. Juzo Itami is an actor in Sweet Home. Oh, He's what? Yamamura. <laughs> it was the last thing he was ever in, too. Okay. A sweet home connection. Although, uh, he was a producer on the game. He yeah, was an be... executive producer on the movie and regular producer on the game. Huh. So there you go. I. It's good to know I was not imagining that he had something to like do with it. That's actually the thing that I find the most strange about the development of the game is how tied it was to the production of the movie. Like, I, yeah. I feel a lot of the video game uh, adaptions of movies tend to be fairly hands-off. Like, at best, you get, oh, well, Disney, they did the animations for Aladdin. That's neat. That's actually, like, a surprising level of involvement. Uh, they got Tobey Maguire to phone it the fuck in for Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, like, at the time, like, this was basically a... Uh multimedia property before that was a thing which is funny that it's all for sweet home which is a thing that has never really gone anywhere beyond this yeah uh you know outside of the way that it inspired staff at konami Mm -hmm. Uh, like its most valuable contribution isn't even to film i think it is to what it did for horror video games i this makes me wonder what do you think it is that attracts Japanese movie directors specifically to horror games though. Cause there's this and then, uh, Kinji Fukasaku was involved in clock tower three. Oh, it's just like, it seems that. like there's a lot of, that seems to be a thing for them. I don't know. I, I almost wonder if it's just culturally Japanese horror is just so damn different from American horror. I wonder if maybe there is a sort of urge to want to, play with the way that you are scaring your audience maybe they're viewing video games as being this very interesting medium to try something new in the way that they frighten people but like the only other game i can think of that had a movie director involved with it was um twin snakes with the director from versus whose name i'm blinking on yeah uh, I don't know. I mean, in, in America, when you have like a horror director that wants to go on and do something else, it's like they write a shitty Joker book with Anthony Birch. I'm still mad about it. I'm still really mad about it. But like, actually, like American horror directors will typically jump over to something like comic books or television and, and not to video games specifically. Yeah, Joe Hill's got those new comics coming out soon just like the cape remember the cape yeah the cape Uh, but i i I did kind of uh... the the comic the cape i think was unrelated to the really bad nbc show the cape yeah god six seasons in a movie uh which did remind me of the cape uh, so I did kind of mention too I think that this is often erroneously stated as being the first survival horror game I, I think that it developed a lot of uh, recurring elements and tropes it, it's definitely the one that kind of put survival horror 
uh, on the map, so to speak. Uh, but there were definitely games that dealt with similar elements that predated by almost a decade. Um, specifically Nostromo, which was released in 1981. Uh, it was a text-based game, and players had to like escape a ship from an invisible alien. And God, you would just never guess where they got the idea for that. I was about to say, like, hmm, the name Nostromo. Mm-hmm. W- wonder what their influence was. The Wikipedia article helpfully points out that it was inspired by Alien. Really? <laughs> yeah, you never would have guessed. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> I, If I remember correctly, though, that is a Japanese game, so it would also be a very good example of, like, Japanese game developers or filmmakers in general just taking this American thing and barely changing anything about it. The player character, Bellin Gripley, has to escape <laughs> from the ship. Uh Oh, but there was another game on the Atari 2600 that came out in 82 called Haunted House, because uh, this was yep. back in the day where people did not give a fuck about what they named video games. I mean, there weren't that many games out there, is. so it didn't matter. Oh. It's just like, you're, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's hockey. Phil Hartman yeah. is going to do a commercial saying he wants hockey from Activision. Uh, but that one had an emphasis on puzzle solving specifically, which I thought was the, the thing that made it more noteworthy as a early survival horror kind of game. Uh, I, I think that what Sweet Home really did, that was... Like, there were other horror games that were puzzle-based. There were other horror games that were about escaping a location. I think that what Street Home did that was uh, really additive to the genre was specifically, like, item management scarcity. Right. Well, and just, like, fighting things, really. Because every yeah, other one com- was just, combat. like... Yeah, find an item, use it here, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that is uh, sort of how I feel about Sweet Home, is I have a very difficult time sitting down and actually enjoying that game. Uh, It is so damn punishing. It is so damn difficult to get through. I have no idea how you're supposed to just, like, figure it out as you go. That would be maddening to me. But I actually really, really like it conceptually. I like everything that it goes for, and I really appreciate what it did for the genre. Yeah, um, I mean, it was not released. I, yeah. I was gonna say one of the things that we'll mention is like, should you play this like for historical value, like sort of to see where things, like what other things came from, what took from it, the influence it had. And this is one where I would say like that's definitely the primary reason, and yes. more than most of them. Where most it's like, ah, yeah, you might like Aladdin. I don't know. Or whatever yeah. others that we've had that caveat for. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I think the thing with Sweet Home is you can pop into it and maybe get through the first area. And at that point, you can kind of bounce out of it. Because you would have got a little taste of everything that that game is. Mm. Um, I don't think it's something that you really need to sit down and play to completion to appreciate for what it's done. Um. But yeah, it's important enough, especially if you just really like horror games in general, I think you owe it to yourself to sit down and kind of understand like where a lot of those games got their roots, because they do primarily borrow from Sweet Home. Yeah. Uh, I, I did want to say, too, uh, part of why this game never got released uh, in America, there's no definitive answer on that. There's a lot of speculation, but the thing that people kind of settle on the most is... Uh, for me, primarily, what I think is the reason is it's based on a Japanese movie that didn't come out here. Sure. So, 
also late on the NES. So by 1989, they weren't really kind of looking at porting a Japanese horror game based on an obscure movie. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Well, we'll consider too, like the time it takes uh, back then for a game to get ported over to America. This was an yeah. 89 release; would have come out in like 91. Yeah. Um, by that point, you're so far beyond the NES. Well, that's uh, about when the SNES was coming out. Yeah, like you're wanting to sell people on the on the yeah. new shit. Um. But the other one is is uh, content, because this game is actually incredibly dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the reason why Mamiya is a vengeful ghost is her son accidentally fell into the incinerator one day. Yeah, who uh, hasn't been there? Right? We've all had beloved family dogs get trapped inside incinerators. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> because this charge of the state that your dad took in is kind of a dick. Yeah, uh, it happens. Uh, there's a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure RPG uh, for the Super Nintendo. Yes, there is. I played some of it uh, as best oh, as I okay. could. Yeah. Didn't uh, get very far. I've known of that for a while, but I bring it up partly because I saw someone tweet about it recently and it got me thinking about that again and whether or not I should play it. Um, but yeah, the, 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 her kid falls into the incinerator and then she loses her mind and decides, well, my kid needs playmates inside the incinerator. So she just starts kidnapping kids and burning them to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she dies. And so when you get in there, you're like aided by this old man who shows up. And one of the things I thought was really neat about that is in this one room, you're kind of like given a moment with this old man, like still standing in there. And if you walk up to him, you will walk through his sprite. Ooh. And if you walk into any of your party members, they act as a barricade. You stop dead right there. Uh, and so, of course, at the end of the game, it's revealed that that actually was the ghost of her husband who was helping you along. Yeah. That's neat. Uh, and yeah, just like, like I said, the whole final boss just being convinced of this lady that her kid died and that she's dead is really bleak. Mm-hmm. So content in this game is really something. Um, which speaking of games with dark content Clock Tower also has a lot of dead kids in it that's right 46 minutes in here we go Clock Tower I was not expecting us to have this much to say about Sweet Home but Sweet Home actually is a lot lot to dig in with that game um, I, I Clock Tower is okay well I didn't so good well, for you well big whoop <laughs> Uh, Clock Tower is something that I that I think I actually have a lot less to say about, but um, I, I was aware of this game back in the day, mostly because I got hung up on this uh, dude who looked like... Um, oh, God, he looks like Axel Rose from that one uh, like ACDC video. Where he's wearing Axel the shorts Rose and he's dressed up like a little... AC... Oh, you mean Malcolm Young from I... ACDC? Malcolm Young. Yeah, no, my bad. <laughs> not, I don't know shit about the Not Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses? I don't give a fuck about Guns N' Roses and ACDC. ACDC are good. Eh, they agree to disagree. I don't <laughs> really like their music. I don't. I don't like their music. Fight me. Send me an email. What's the address? I, I didn't know, say it last time. AmericanRetroPie at gmail.com Okay. Yeah. If you want to get mad at me for confusing these two dudes, uh, Axel Rose and the guy whose name I already forgot because I care so much. Or Malcolm Angus Young. Young. Yes, no. Either one, sure. really. 
Scissor Man reminded me of him. That's like always what I got hung up on. <laughs> Was like the little shorts specifically. Okay, to me he always looked like Bobby Hill. Hmm. Like just sort of the yeah. short squatness of him. Yeah. But this was also it's ironic though that because I didn't play this one until I had played the PS1 one, which was just called the Clock Tower, even though it was actually Clock Tower 2, which then led to them calling the spin-off game Clock Tower 2 uh in the US. What was Clock Tower 3? Is that like another spin-off? No, that was that was Clock Tower 3. Okay. But our Clock Tower 2 is like Clock Tower, yeah. I don't know, Dark Fate or something, I don't know. Uh, and yeah. so Clock Tower 3 is the same either way. Of course, Clock Tower 4 is Haunting Ground, though I think it wasn't even called Clock Tower 4 in Japan either. Anyway, Clock Tower point... 4 is like such an apparition in the series in general because it's like this weird sort of time travel thing that you're doing where you're like going to different uh, periods and like alternate realities. You mean 3? That's what it, that, oh god, what did I say? I'm you so confused. For uh, <laughs> Haunting Ground's the one with the dog. Uh, but Clock Tower 2, just Clock Tower 1 for PS1 here, uh, Scissor Man is like a dude with bandages on his head, and like he's huge and has these big scissors and is spooky. And then in Clock Tower, the original Clock Tower, it's just as eh, a little goofball. Yeah. Uh, Ironic that he's called Scissor Man because in Clock Tower One he is definitely a child. That's yeah. the whole point is that he's a like a disfigured kid. Uh, I'm I'm fuzzy on details of the story of Clock Tower because I kind of remember it being delivered in like a lot of vague ways. Like it's sort of this thing that you really need to kind of piece together as you're going. But I think it was that basically it says some satanic stuff happened and this kid gave birth to two abominations. Uh, one of them is the Scissor Man, who is uh, disfigured and has a hilarious-sized pair of scissors that he got from Party City, and he's killing kids with them. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the other one is like this grotesque giant baby thing that you have to kill at the end of the game. Yeah, in like caves or something. Yeah, because uh, like the progression of the game is largely through this mansion, but eventually you go outside into some caves and then... It ends up inside the uh, titular clock tower uh, that's right. attached to it. And of course, like as implied before, like this never came out in the U.S., so that's why the PS1 yeah. one was just called Clock Tower. Yeah. Um, but the, the the premise of the game is he, is he plays as a young girl Jessica who uh, is adopt, adopted along with her friends, and uh, they're they're kind of like a social work lady is taking them to this mansion. Uh, lights go out, everybody's missing, you play as Jessica, uh, the scissor man falls through a skylight with one of your friends skewered, and uh, basically shit just pops off real fast. Yeah, like immediately uh, he's coming for you. Oh, yes. Uh, so most of the game is incredibly, incredibly slowly making your way around this mansion. Jessica's walk takes forever, especially if you're going up and down stairs. Uh you can run, but running drains stamina, which causes your fear gauge to rise. Uh, in certain rooms, you will be ambushed by Scissor Man or just other paranormal happenings. And when this happens, Jessica gets scared. If she gets too scared, it's game over. She clams up and gets killed. So 
so you kind of don't want to run around but it is cool like the ways he pops out because they're like all uh yeah oops uh never mind that uh it's like, very just like falls out of a refrigerator they're they're very like uh, <laughs> so, oh, darn it you I, I accidentally clicked the you play launcher icon that that's kind of the kind of oops um but they're oh, scripted no they're scripted like uh he's gonna pop out of this window or whatever or like you uh open a shower curtain and he's in there yeah i think it's, the shower curtain is like the first time that you see him after like the opening i think like that's actually set up that you yeah. have like a mandatory encounter with him um yeah, there's like other stuff too. Like, uh, you go into the kitchen. If you open up the fridge, there's just massive cockroaches inside of it, and that will scare Jessica. Uh, it's like some of them are also like, yeah. Where do you think Opley got it from? <laughs> exactly. I mean, probably. Uh, if you, if yeah. you beat the game 100, percent then Jessica's not wearing any clothes in the new game. Plus, you see, it's. Oh. Uh... That's. Uh... I still can't believe they did that in Opley. Uh, I can believe it. Uh, the weirdos yeah. making that game. Yeah. Um. No. So some of those those hazards aren't necessarily designed to outright kill you so much as they're designed to fuck with your fear meter. So when Scissor Man does show up, you are in a worse position to be facing him. Uh, there's no combat in the game really at all. Uh, it is all about trying to just hide from the Scissor Man when he shows up. Uh, and then any time that he's not attacking you is just spent uh, in isolation in this mansion, just slowly piecing together these puzzles and getting story bits and getting your way out of uh, traps until you get to the end of the game. Um, you do run into like your, your social worker at certain points in the story and eventually find out that she's in on it, uh, that she's kind of actually behind the whole like current string of kidnappings and murders that take place inside the mansion. Uh, I, I want to say there's like one bit where she tries to like goad you over going like no no it's fine I'm here we're here we're going to get out of this mansion together just to like come on over and if you do she just like stabs you <laughs> probably I, I could be misremembering that but like the game does stuff like that where it is really trying to like goad you into certain directions where there there is a hazard um, and then like one of the interesting things that this game does too is it randomizes a lot so like Rooms will appear in different locations each time you start the game, and then key items will appear in different locations as well. So it's very difficult to go through this game with a guide because a lot of the guide will just be, well, this room right now might be in this part of the mansion, or it could be in these other three parts in the mansion, wherever the number generator decided to roll. Weird. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> It it does that at a few times, and I did follow a guide because I wanted to make sure I could get through the game, and and it was just a lot of that. It was almost useless following a guide, really. Um, huh. But part of wanting to use a guide was the fact that, uh, similar to Sweet Home, uh, if you die, it is very punishing because there's no continues in this game. You go all the way back to the start of the game. I mean, it's also pretty short, though, right? I think, like, an actual full playthrough is roughly 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. But it's the, it's the fact that it, it randomly generates those rooms that you can't just necessarily get into the rhythm of, okay, go back here, do this, do this, do this, and then quickly, like, blow through your lost progress. Uh, you know, it gives you replay value. It does. Like, I, I actually think that is something that's... um. 
neat about its design is it's specifically set up around this idea of starting from the beginning and doing multiple playthroughs because there's also like a bunch of alternate endings and the only way to get them all is to keep replay uh-huh. um, just like a uh, nine hours nine persons nine doors sure virtues last nine nine ninety nine dreamcast came out uh they had ill bleed on that that's right we um we missed the anniversary on here yeah we did i really should have put ill bleed on this list but i did not think to do that ill bleed's a really good game no yeah, it's not. Um, oh fuck you it is it's it's good not by virtue of its mechanics but by virtue of how fucking handball dumb it is yes okay it's not good but it is good yes that is a game where you go into like you go into one of the worlds and you're chased by like a sort of resident evil like nemesis type figure called killer man (laughs) killer man in all capital letters killer man and then like before the final boss it takes his break and presents it like a game show like a guess who segment it's like oh before we get to the boss guess who's killer man and it will give you like four <laughs> options and three of which are just normal characters that it could plausibly be and the last option is just killer man is killer man <laughs> yep and the correct answer is killer man is killer man of course it is and you have to get that right to beat the game a hundred percent yeah ill bleed is good they consistently misspelled the word puppet in it, so it's ha- it's got two P's in the middle, wood, so it just reads like wood puppet. Yep, because you have to turn into a wood puppet at one point. Yeah. Also, speaking of games where posters. where if you fail, uh, it just makes the game way harder, and you might as well reload. Uh, you just gotta pick one character from the beginning and dump all your points into improving that character's stats. Oh yeah. And if they die, you can't do anything you just basically have to start over because you'll not get anywhere with the characters that have not been upgraded and they got all those posters for the fake movie called dummy man and the tagline is you've been dummied again no it's like it's time to be dummy again oh time to be dummy again yeah god the whole like queen worm thing I, I need to talk about that real fast before we get back on the clock tower you know what I'm just gonna include a clip here so save your time I've missed you so. You appear to be okay. Oh, that's a relief. At last, we can be together forever. Let's go back to hell. Hey, you, young one. Thank you. I'll never forget your kindness. I'm assuming it's the we're going to hell thing, right? Yes. Okay, that's what I wanted. I My favorite part about that is how they don't change the voice actor for the worm. It's still very obviously the Japanese actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, man. So yeah, cl- uh, Clock Tower. <laughs> I'm trying to go back to it. I'm just thinking about the worm. Um, it's, it's really weird in, in that... A lot of this game, you are not actually going up against any enemies or stuff like that. It is actually a very solitary game. Um, 
a very lonely game for Jessica. Uh, there's like no music in the game at all either. It's just kind of ambient sounds, except for when Scissorman pops out and you get that one song. And it's such a fucking good track. Like it's kind of unreal that it's coming out of the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure we'll use it for for one of the the bits of music that we play in this episode. So you'll, you'll hear it. Uh, I'm gonna say that'll be the last one that you hear in this episode. How about that? So that way you know which one it is. As if you okay. couldn't tell the difference between NES and SNES music. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I I really love that song. I tend to kind of just listen to it as far as just like kind of making playlists of uh, old video game music goes. Um, I'm not really remembering it at the moment, but I'm sure when I hear it, I will be like, oh, right. Okay. So good. It's like these stabbing strings at the start of it and this kind of like techno warble in the background. Hmm. It's really okay. good. Very, very invocative of uh, old slasher movies. Like sure. Like 80s slasher. Um, appropriate considering uh scissor man is basically a slasher movie yeah with jennifer Connolly. uh yep yeah yeah clock tower was the thing is it's not even like uh what was what was the name of the movie jennifer Connolly was in that like they clearly just traced from for her character in this i'm not sure actually because it was like one where she's like stuck in a mansion or something even like they were that blatant about it i don't know yeah i i do remember them taking jennifer connelly i just i can't remember exactly what movie they grabbed her from but yeah uh i honestly think that the puzzles in this game actually require like a bit of thinking to figure them out uh some of them are perhaps just outright obtuse uh there there is like a a bit I'm thinking of specifically where you have to kind of know that you need to climb up over like a dresser and you need to push a crate over to the dresser to get up over it. Except like you can walk in the room and you figure that out immediately. You know what you need to do. But Jennifer herself needs to know that you can do it, which means that you need to take her over to the dresser, make her examine the dresser, take her over to the box, make her examine the box, and then have her go, oh, I could push this rather right. than just being able to immediately push it. Uh, yeah. so there's I hate, a lot of stuff like that I hate when games do that adventure games do that yeah. sometimes well yeah I mean that's kind of the thing about Clock Tower is it's very adventure game-esque yeah uh, in that sense uh, especially because a lot of it is just to use the items you picked up with everything until you figure out what works with what I can't use those things together yeah. says Sam I can't use the rope with this yeah uh, Indiana Jones um, and the fate of Atlantis yeah so so that's like the, the part of the game that that I kind of that, that pushes me away is uh, trying to solve some of these puzzles ends up getting impeded by dumb game logic of oh I should have been able to just go and figure this out anyway but I had to do these arbitrary steps so the character knew so sometimes you go into a room and you think that oh there's actually no puzzle in here to solve whatsoever but in fact there is you're just not going through the exact precise number of steps to figure it out. Uh, so in that sense, like, a guide is helpful. It's just not helpful for actually, like, navigating around the mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I recommended uh, a Sweet Home uh, for the same reasons you did. Um, I actually think that I would recommend Clock Tower, because I think that... 
despite the fact that some of that stuff is uh, sort of difficult to get your mind around just due to the logic of the game, just the whole atmosphere of it, uh, just kind of its unique take on mixing survival horror and an adventure game uh, makes it very, very interesting to me. And I think that that's one of those games where when you fall into the rhythm and you kind of get what to do and you beat it in like 45 minutes, it's really fun and it feels really good. Yeah. Um, in a way that like Resident Evil for me, like when you kind of you just know what to do and you can run through that game, it feels good. Like Sweet Home, or not Sweet Home, but Clock Tower has that same feel to me. Sure. What about uh, you? Uh, yeah. Yes, I would say so. I think the uh, it's probably my least favorite of the ones I have played. Like of the mm-hmm. Clock Tower games, but I like the series in general, so it's not really, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah. Now I I played this in Clock Tower three, and I I think I like Clock Tower three more because it just feels like a 3D survival horror game. Yeah, I like three a lot. Um, yeah, it's a really good game. And I don't like that Scissor Man's like a weird looking like Kabuki theater thing. <laughs> I like uh, that. Not... Uh... I like a. Uh... I like Hammerman. Yes, yeah, cool. Hammerman's great. Um, and Clock Tower Two. You haven't played Clock Tower Two, right? No, I remember. I've been warned that one of the PlayStation Clock Towers is, in fact, really bad. Yeah, that's two. <laughs> okay. Um, R two or there two. R two. Okay. It's our, important distinction to make. Yeah, there too is our one. Oh god. And that one's good. Uh, well, but here's the math. thing though. If, well, it's not math. It's I too feel many like numbers. I feel like you would really like Clock Tower 2 even though it's bad. Oh god. Because it's like there's a lot of ill bleed in that game, I would say. Like not That's as right. wacky. It's not like silly like Illbleed is, but it's weird in a way that I think you would like. Mm. I mean, you've also seen the uh, the kind of games I'm willing to tolerate on this list, so true. Comparatively, maybe Clock Tower Two is not as bad as some of the other stuff I played. Probably not. I don't know. I, I should maybe give it a shot. I, I think this month, uh, kind of what I have planned out to play as far as horror games go, I might be done sooner than I think. So if I am, I might uh, give those a shot. Yeah. Okay. Clock Tower. I also really like the series. I think I first became aware of it uh, with advertisements and magazines for Clock Tower uh, 1 for the PlayStation and just kind of like that being a curiosity in the same way Silent Hill was. Uh, yeah, it was like I went to rent a game and I saw, hey, here's a weird thing with a bandage man with scissors. This looks neat. Yeah. There was definitely that period of time where I was aware of what Resident Evil was, even though I wasn't playing them. And so any other kind of survival horror game was, I don't know, like a mystery to me. Like I could figure out what Resident Evil was because people talked about that the most. So seeing like a Silent Hill or a Clock Tower was like, huh, this is not Resident Evil, yeah. but also kind of is. Yeah. But yeah, it's Scissor Man, man, he's 
Scary. Jumps through a window. Send sure. a shower. Sure, that chandelier comes yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, we talked about uh, two survival horror games this week. Uh, I kind of mentioned to you that I think the progression of this month was going to go from uh, goofy games to more and more like genuine horror. Uh, and next week to to wrap everything up, I got a fine selection of games uh, that you are going to hate talking about. Great. No, actually, I think that you'll you'll probably have a, a lot to say. Is I think that your familiarity maybe not 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 as intimate as mine, but you're definitely familiar with it. I'm looking forward. Okay. To it. Yeah. Till then, let's leave you on that cryptic ass message. Uh, as always. <laughs> yeah. No, it's my favorite part about this show is uh, leaving you in suspense about what games you're playing. I do not think about it ten seconds after I stop. It's all I think about. Well, good. Until then, goodbye, dinosaurs. Goodbye, dinosaurs. Oh, my God.